Costs to originate keep rising, even with more technology in the industry. The problem is the core platform. A new LOS can re-architect the process around data, not humans moving paper files. Vesta has built this LOS, and you can learn more at Vesta.com. Welcome, everyone. Layoffs, voluntary buyouts, earnings, and more. We're going to cover all of that on today's Housing Wire Daily episode. My guest is Managing Editor James Kleiman to give us an overview of the week's news, and there's a lot to talk about. First, here's a word from our sponsor. From first-time and non-traditional home buyers to those needing a jumbo loan for a second home, Finance of America Mortgage and their skilled, award-winning mortgage advisors have helped over 450,000 customers since 2015. Finance of America Mortgage is licensed to lend in all 50 states, plus Washington, D.C., Puerto Rico, and the U.S. Virgin Islands, and backed by best-in-class lending technology with a wide range of innovative and proprietary mortgage products. They're prepared to help borrowers find loans that meet their needs. Want to join an award-winning team and elevate your business? Visit www.joinfamtoday.com forward slash housing wire to learn more. Finance of America Mortgage LLC is licensed nationwide. Equal housing opportunity. NMLS ID number 1071. www.nmlsconsumeraccess.org. Equal opportunity employer. James, welcome back to the podcast. Hey, Sarah. Thanks for having me. Always great to have you on. Um, you know, we really like to do... When I have you on, we kind of like to recap the the week's news. Um, these weeks, there's so much happening, it's hard to do. But I thought what we'd focus on today is just the news that we're getting, you know, as we see different lenders um, lay people off or offer buyouts, um, also the earnings coming is coming in. So let's kick off with um, with Rocket. So they're not doing a layoff, they're they're offering a voluntary buyout. So, so tell me a little bit about that. Yeah, so Rocket is easily the largest mortgage lender in America. Uh, they originated about $351 billion in uh, mortgages, residential mortgages last year, and, and I expect them to be number one in 2022 as well. Um, that said, you know, Rocket, like, like any other mortgage business, is prone to the cyclicality of the industry. And so when rates are higher and there are fewer candidates for refinancings, um, Rocket is going to suffer. And so Rocket announced on Monday that they would be targeting 8% of their existing workforce with um, voluntary buyout offers. And specifically, this is in mortgage operations. So processors, underwriters, people who kind of work in, and Rocket has a very bifurcated process for originating a mortgage. And and I can get a little bit further into that a little later on. Um, But they're also targeting their title arm as well, which is called the AMROC. And so Rocket, you know, as of the end of the year, in 2021, had about 26,000 employees, roughly, uh, most of whom work in Detroit, uh, but there are some in Cleveland as well. And um, and so if all 8% of the people who were selected to take these voluntary buyouts agrees, that would represent a little under 2,100 workers uh, who would no longer be working at Rocket. And so, you know, it's, it's interesting because Rocket, you know, they did lay people off in 2018, um, you know, this is an industry that they've been operating in for 30 something years. You know, it's, it's a cyclical industry, as I said. I think they are very smart in that they're not just immediately looking to lay people off. 
you know, the, the buyouts are a little bit more palatable. I think the PR, um, the blowback is, is not nearly as strong as it would be if they said, look, these are the realities of the industry. We're not making as much money. Business is not as good. And so we don't need that many people to do this work. And so I'm sorry, but, you know, you're gone. Sorry, Brian. Sorry, Jen. You're out. You know, good luck to you. Um, so what Rocket is doing, you know, they're, they're offering a, a pretty generous severance package. They're, they're paying people for several months. They're offering to pay their medical benefits, doing job training, all kinds of stuff. Um, and, and I think, you know, Rocket is, is um, certainly very aware of how bad layoffs look. Um, and so I, I think they want to they want to explore every option possible before really cutting a significant portion of their staff. Um, and so, yeah, we'll, we'll see how that goes. Um, but, but Rocket is, is definitely just the first among many of the big lenders who's going to be looking to pare back their workforce in the months ahead. And great point on that. You know, Wells Fargo, who um, of the big banks is definitely, you know, the, the one that always leads in mortgage origination. Um, they cut mortgage jobs recently, too. I think it was last week. Yeah. So Wells Fargo, according to sources of of uh, mine and, and other reporters in the Housing Wire newsroom, uh, they had hundreds of mortgage processors and underwriters go from several locations across the country. And uh, you know, if, if anyone were listening to the earnings call that Wells Fargo did uh, a few weeks back, I, I think it was pretty clear as day that this was an inevitability. Uh, you know, they they talked about how it was the biggest dip quarterly in in mortgage uh, in years, and um, you know, Wells Fargo is, is also, they're prioritizing other business lines at this point. And, and, you know, generally speaking, it is a pretty risk averse bank and they've courted a lot of very negative public opinion and, and uh, some bad headlines over the last few years. And so, you know, I, I think Wells Fargo is probably more likely to just cut losses and, and focus on other business lines than maybe try to work on uh, products that require more difficult underwriting or are achievable, but um, maybe um, carry more risk. And and I, I think they're just, they're not at that place at this point. And so, yeah, I, I heard several hundred, we don't have an exact number and Wells Fargo wouldn't say, but they're not going to be the first big depository either uh, that's going to to lay people off and, and you know, to Anyone who's worked at a bank will tell you, you know, there's no job security you know, from top to bottom. Like anybody can be let go anytime. And um, it just depends, you know, if when the consultants from McKinsey or whomever come in and say, you know, this, this is the, this is where the rubber meets the road and you're, you're on the wrong spreadsheet. Like you're, you're looking for a new job pretty soon. So um, I, I don't think it's that dissimilar from, you know, the, the independent mortgage banks, but um, certainly in banking, you know, definitely accustomed to, um, you know, widespread layoffs and, and more frequently. You know, we saw such a pullback um, from the depositories after the financial crisis when it came to mortgage lending. It just wasn't worth it to them. The cost to originate all the all the regulations and they, they had more profitable business lines. But Wells Fargo was one of the, you know, top depository lenders. Uh, you know, of course, it, it was much smaller than they had done before, but still very significant. So to me, seeing Rocket on the one side and and Wells on the other, right? Depository, non-depository, really interesting. And it, it's not just it's not just them. Obviously, if it affects them, it affects everybody, is what I would say. So you know, the next one that we reported on was um, Blackstar, and and they laid off a, a pretty significant number of 
uh, staff con- considering their size. So, you know, what's going on there? Yeah. So, I, I mean, it's the same story at Flagstar. You know, their origination volume was way down in the first quarter. Their profitability was way down, at least related to mortgage uh, business. And um, and so as a result, they they look at where their costs are and, and your costs are almost always in, in personnel. You know, these none of these companies are spending 50% on technology or anything else. When and, and when you look at the cost to originate a loan and you wonder, what is it cost $9,000 now or $10,000 now? Uh, well, the reason is personnel because there are a lot of people who are working on these mortgages. And when you have fewer mortgages to work on, you don't need as many people. And so Flagstar is one of the early depositories that we know of um, to say, mm, these numbers don't work. And so they cut about 20% of their staff, you know, a, a large proportion of that was, was an actual people who were in existing jobs and, um, and are, you know, just no longer working there and will have to find new jobs outside Flagstar um, and others were positions themselves that were cut. And so, you know, it, it represents several hundred people again. And depending on who you ask, the, the industry itself is, you know, as, as 30 to 50% more capacity, than is necessary. And so we're at the tip of the iceberg and we're also only just entering, you know, where the numbers really start to look ugly, depending on kind of the product mix and, you know, how quickly some of these lenders were able to transition from a refi market to a purchase market. I, I mean, we, we just, I, I think it's important for, for listeners to remember that how sudden the change in mortgage rates was, you know, we're talking like, basically two percentage, you know, two percentage points in just a few months, you know, and, and a lot of these companies are not that nimble. They have workforces in the thousands, they have different divisions, some of whom, you know, are, are well integrated and others that are kind of, you know, segmented, you know, in a totally different office or, or you know, don't really have a whole lot of interactivity with the other. And, um, and they, they can't just turn on a dime. You know, these are not like super nimble organizations. Some of them still do mortgages with pen and pad, you know, like with an Excel spreadsheet. Like I, I think people would be asking a lot if they would expect, you know, someone to be able to, to you know, move like a jet ski. These are tankers. These are huge, challenging apparatuses that are very complex, you know, and, and, and have to be compliant this is, this in the middle of all of it, you know, so yeah. some of the nimbleness, some of that, yeah, you know, I mean, they're not putting their compliance lawyers, right. You know, that whole like move fast and break things is like, yeah, it doesn't really work in, in a very regulated environment. Yeah. Uh, it's just hard for them to pivot. And even if they pivot, I mean, volume is volume. It, there's nothing you can do to, to make that up. I, I think it's also worth noting that, you know, some of the regulators have, really started to bare their teeth of late. The CFPB in particular has has come out swinging and saying, you know, oh, we found we found these dormant rules in, you know, the old Todd Frank look, some some intern or, or some, you know, first year fellow, you know, went went into the basement and looked through, you know, all 50 million pages of the Dodd-Frank regulations and found this one rule that says that we, we can basically provide exams to non-banks and any other kind of, you know, non-depository financial institution that is a fintech at any moment's notice and we can we can basically come in there and, and break stuff. And, um, and so, you know, while these lenders are cutting, you know, and generally speaking, they're cutting processors and underwriters and, um, you know, in many cases, those are also some of the positions that receive, you know, outsized bonuses in the lead up to 2022 when things started to fall down. Um, but, but now we have a very, very potentially challenging regulatory climate 
and we're going to be looking at, you know, a much smaller workforce. So I think it's going to depend a lot on which positions are cut, you know, and, and they, they want to remain profitable. A lot of these companies now have investors and private equity funds, and some of them are public and have, you know, public facing investors that they need to, uh, you know, assuage the concerns of, but they can't cut to the bone either. Um, and so even if profitability does dip, they, they do have the regulatory compliance issue that they need to contend with. So they're going to have just as many compliance folks, I think, in, you know, and, and those who don't may may run afoul and, and may have much bigger issues to worry about than just, um, you know, we lost $20 million in the second quarter kind of stuff. I think it's such an interesting dynamic. I I feel like sometimes the regulatory apparatus of this country is is pretty divorced from the what what's happening on the ground from from that kind of profit standpoint and and obviously they should be but but also it's like you know if you make it hard enough we're going to see just like we saw after the financial crisis where it's like a lot of people are just going to be like yeah we're just not doing mortgages at a time when we you know it's already hard hard enough to get a mortgage so that's you know that's one of the reasons we had the rise of the non-banks is because the depositories pulled back so much and there was a vacuum and there was an opportunity and so they you know they came in so it's so interesting to see the regulators be like any fintech i mean it seems pretty broad mm. uh what they can do yeah it's very broad yeah and, and you know as, as you mentioned zara it's you know we, we if we want to time travel a little bit you know there's a reason that wells fargo and jp morgan chase aren't doing government loans you know there's a reason that you don't see depositories doing with the fha or or va and, and other types of products and so you know I, I think it's it's very important that you balance a public mission uh and, and making sure that consumers are protected and, and are receiving um you know fair treatment and and honest treatment you know like, there's no deceptive advertising there's no gotcha um in there but if, if you make the climate so difficult especially when their profits are down and there's less incentive for them um, to, to try to, you know, serve borrowers and, and you know, outside their, their typical sweet spot, I, I think it could have a really detrimental effect to the overall market. Well, I, I feel that way too. And then, and then on the other hand, we do know that a purchase loan market, especially when volumes are down and, you know, uh, lenders are going to be looking at some of those uh, less exemplary borrowers. They're they're looking at different loan products. It is a it is a environment that could have more potential for abusive practices. But still, <laughs> I think it's still. Yeah, and for the that. moment, you know, they're not really doing that. You know, and when you no. talk about purchase and and kind of you know the, those risky products, they're, they're not really out there. You know, the, the risk. There's really not. There's really not. You know, and and when we even think about the risk, the proportional risk right now is that a lot of these lenders are starting to target kind of the investor pools. And, and they're looking for the mom and pop landlord who maybe has four or five units and, and, you know, maybe uses like a, you know, a fanny loan to, to try to get something done and, and um, maybe self-employed borrowers, you know, like the local dentist or someone who runs, you know, a, a business on Main Street USA. Um, I don't think of them as risky. You know, they, they typically have to do an audit. They have to show cash flow. But if let's say there is a recession, one could certainly foresee there being a larger problem if, you know, a lender is pretty heavy on those. None of them really are, you know, unless you get into pretty kind of deep non-QM uh, lending, you know, I mean, none of the, the Rockets, Loan Depots, guarantee rates, UWMs, none of them are doing like 40% of their business with investors or, you know, um, trying to find uh, uh, that local Main Street businessman or, or businesswoman who, who wants to get a second investment property. It's... um. It's still, I mean, you look at the numbers, this is still a Fannie Freddie market. Absolutely. And, you know, uh, Fannie and Freddie have gained, you know, market share in, in the last few years. 
you know, they, they are still the heavyweights in, in mortgage finance. And that's going to remain until we see major changes in, in I, I think, government policy at this point. This is one of the points that our lead analyst, Logan Motoshami, brings up quite a bit, which is that the, you know, the balance sheet of homeowners right now, so all the people that, you know, the lenders saw fit to give loans to over the last five years, whatever, is just incredible. They're, they're, they're very, they're very solid. And also that the loan products that are being offered to your point, there's nothing, there's nothing exotic in them. Even the arms, which we see uh, the arm share going up, they're not the arms of the past. There's, you know, these, these are, there's no balloon payment. Yeah. There's nothing, there's nothing scary about these products, you know, and and, in almost every case, you know, these arms are for people who are probably going to sell their home in five years anyway. Yep. So yeah, we, we don't have a credit problem. Uh, we, we have the opposite. We, we, have, we have a problem where we, we can't get the inventory in the hands of people who might even be on the border or you know, have the products or, or the political will um, to try to make products for people who might be on those margins. Um, it just doesn't exist right now. Agreed 100%. Inventory is the number one issue right here. I mean, we could definitely be doing more loans if we had more homes. I wanted to circle back on something you said about you know um, that the lenders and and their costs being personnel and and maybe you know what tech might have done different there. I mean, let's look at better. So better is somebody we've been following and 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 just published a story about the fact that you know they were one of the rare lenders to to post huge losses in 2021, a, a gigantic volume year. And and better's value prop has been that they're using technology um, in a different way and 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 their loan officer the whole thing is structured a little bit different with technology so so why then in your opinion like when you look at that what did you take away from from the fact that they they posted losses last year yeah I don't think there was uh, much surprise when when I went through the s4 from their um, potential SPAC partners special purpose acquisition company basically a merger it's it's a it, it was the flavor of the week, you know, year or two years ago, and, and no longer is. Um, partly because of this, you know, where we're seeing companies that that don't have great, you know, financial profiles that were being taken public, and a certain select few people were, were making quite a bit of money, but the investors uh, have uh, you know, taken big losses. So when when you look at better, better made a bit of profit in 2020. They did okay. They did fine. Literally everyone made money in 2020. I, I can think of maybe one or two extremely isolated cases of a mortgage lender, you know, a primary originator not being profitable in 2020. And, and it's just because how do you not make money when rates are like two, five, like, you know, it's, it's almost impossible to not, you know, fig- and, and when the people who are qualified to buy homes, you know, they now have more purchasing power. They have they're spurred to move or refinance. Like that, they, they have money in their wallets. They they're getting all this stimulus money from from the government. You know, twenty twenty was was the outlier. If anything, twenty twenty one was still a great year for mortgage. You know, one of the best years on record. And so I think it's evidenced in the fact that according to the MBA, of, of all the non banks that they look at. 96% of them in 2021 were profitable. So better is definitely in a, a different kind of category, but better invested a lot of money trying to diversify their business. They have title, they have this quasi real estate um, arm a little bit like Redfin, you know, that they have salaried agents and this is all supposed to be kind of, you know, top of funnel, the bottom of funnel and, and, and a way for them to kind of control the process of, of, 
someone searching for a home, getting an agent, and then financing that home as well. So they're, they're really trying to be kind of the you know the, the one-stop shop for real estate and mortgage, and that is a very expensive proposition. They also didn't spend their money very efficiently. You know, in, in leaked audio from a former colleague, Marianne Acevedo, now of TechCrunch, you know, we, we know that um, Vishal Garg and some of the top executives were saying, we pissed away $200 million. You know, that's a lot of money. That's, that's almost, you know, that's that's about two thirds of, you know, what, what could have been um, narrowing that that um, you know, loss in 2021. So, yeah, the, the total losses came in at about $304 million. And I can think of no other lender of that size. You know, Better is still a very big lender because they made a ton of origination volume almost entirely through refis. But they're about 80 plus percent, I think anywhere between 80 and 85 percent refis. And so, you know, starting in the fourth quarter into the first quarter, and now we're approaching the second quarter, um, it's a very different environment. There's something like 2% of people now who are incentivized financially to refinance their mortgage. And um, so rate terms are dead, you know, cash outs, most people aren't going to do that unless they're taking out a huge amount of equity and then selling, right? Like it's just not a very viable product right now. And I think for the most part, if they can, they'd rather do a HELOC. Better just isn't positioned to win a purchase market, you know? And, and so you look at the layoffs and they laid off, I think it was something like 4,000 people in the first two layoffs. And then sources of mine say it was another thousand people in um, in this third most recent layoff about a little over a week ago. And so, you know, Better still has a big workforce, you know, nothing like Rocket, you know, they don't have 26,000 or 24,000 workers or anything like that. Um, but they're a pretty big player. And um, and they, they write in the S4 that they're going to need more capital unless things really turn around. And, um, you know, SoftBank has, uh, has been throwing good money after bad. And, and I don't know, um, how the situation resolves itself. I can't see any reason to think that Better is going to be able to go public. You know, this would be a bad market for a well-positioned mortgage lender that has, say, a huge amount of MSR and has diversified business lines and, um, you know, is is um, less refi heavy than Better. They would struggle. They, they would have a really tough time. You know, you look at any mortgage lender right now that's publicly traded, their stock is doing poorly. I think they're undervalued, actually. Um, but Wall Street thinks they're overvalued, ironically, because they keep going down, right? And so um, it's just, I don't see where the bottom is. And I don't know, unless Better starts buying, unless they use the money that they have right now and, and can tap into SoftBank's pretty significant war chest to acquire other lenders that do have a lot of purchase business and maybe... You know, they can combine their technology and they can integrate, um, you know, two very different types of business and, you know, actually create something viable. I just I don't see how they're going to manage to, um, you know, not lose money in 2022 and, and lose a lot of it. You know, again, 2021, big investment year. Um, a lot of companies out there will, will consider that not a net negative, right? If they're investing in, in building something that could eventually, you know, gain a huge amount of market share in five years, then, you know, the investors might say that's all worth it in the end. But um, you can only take losses for so long. And it's not like better is the, you know, the poster child for like great mortgage companies in America. 
Well, speaking of um, acquisitions or consolidation, uh, we did have news this week. Uh, Cross Country Mortgage uh, is going to acquire California-based retail lender LendUS. So that's the first M and A deal of 2022, I think, for lenders. Yeah, it's it's a it's a good sized deal. It's an interesting one. In that one, it's the first one that that I've heard of in in quite some time, really. If you think about it, you know, the, the only one I can I can think about otherwise was figure. Um, merging with Homebridge. And that I, I don't even think that deal has gone through yet. It's still been waiting for regulatory approval. Um, and so we're, we're here looking at uh, cross-country, which has grown really aggressively over the last decade. You know, I think they're the number 17 lender in America at this point. And they're a distributed retailer. They're based in Ohio, but they have a footprint all over the place. They've been described to me by, by some folks out there in the industry as kind of like a mini- guaranteed rate, you know, a similar structure with kind of top teams and, and they're really looking, uh, they've been very aggressive with recruiting. They've been trying to find, you know, top mortgage loan originators and, and really trying to build, um, a, a really solid, um, purchase focused business as well. And, uh, and, and, you know, they're, they're an interesting player and they're just getting bigger. And I have a few good sources who tell me that they have money, that they have uh, a solid amount of investment and, and that um, Lendus, LendUS is probably not going to be the last acquisition they even make in 2022. So, you know, I, I think the trend is going to be a lot of these bigger lenders, you know, these top 25 players that, that still have good cash positions from, you know, the, the big years of 2020 and 2021 um, will be able to use that cash and, and use it to acquire lenders that just don't have that kind of heft that that are going to struggle when margins are 70 basis points and they just don't have the operational efficiency to not just cover that but not take big losses on it. And, um, you know, I, I think like a cross-country, a guaranteed rate, a Lone Depot, who knows, even like a Rocket or, or someone like that could – you could see them saying, hey – this is a time for us to grab market share. If everybody is going to be having a tough year, you know, when others zig, maybe all zag. Um, and so I, I think if you're you know a lender who's in the five billion or or less range, um, it's going to be really really hard. This is a very tough environment. Um, even if you've been a few you know through a few rodeos, um, I, I think you're going to struggle. And so maybe that looks like a really good. Uh, you know, landing spot. If, if a big player comes in and says, hey, you know, we, we want to buy your your mortgage company and, and now you're 200, 300, 400, 500 LOs are part of, you know, the mothership and, uh, and you run a division or whatever and, and you get your money for a few years, you keep costs to a minimum and then, you know, you sail around the Caribbean or whatever, you know, and that's, <laughs> keep in mind, like this is, look at the executives in the industry. They are mostly a little bit older this is not an industry run by 35 year olds. You know, these are mostly people in their 50s, 60s, 70s and uh, who wants to deal with the stress of layoffs and reduced comp packages and, you know, configuring new forms of operations and trying to, you know, sort out vendors and contracts and people not paying you and, and the, you know, the looming CFPB overhead, right? Like if, if you made, Six million dollars in 2020 and 2021. Personally, maybe people are wired differently. I would say, yeah, I'm going to move to Puerto Rico. This, this is I'm, I'm out of here. So, <laughs> well, so it, I, I would expect a lot more to come. 
And I would expect more to come too. And, and to your point, you know, you've just had two two great years if you've been in the mortgage business outside of, you know, better some other people we've talked to, but mostly you've had two amazing years, you know, maybe you just don't want to fight through the next, this next lean cycle that, you know, we don't know when that's going to end. No one ever knows. And so it's like, yeah, let me take my, you know, let me take my toys and go home. And, um, and we've seen tons of a consolidation already in in title companies, in different yep. real estate companies. So it's not it's not surprising to see it come to the lenders, but but interesting to keep an eye on. Um I, I did want to say one thing that strikes me is that, you know, when we talk about how that they're laying off different people are laying off the processors and the underwriters, makes total sense. Um, as you said, you know, volumes down and also because they did get a premium over the last couple of years. But if you have to do more non-QM loans going into this, or if you're if you're you know offering different kinds of loan products, you need more expertise, not less. So I wonder if the some of the underwriting and and process people are some of the newer people in there because yep. I, I would think that if you have experience as an underwriter doing non-QM loans, you would be actually very valuable right now. Yeah, and, and a lot of these uh, a lot of these companies have comp plans with staffers in which they their their comp lowers when the business you know, lowers in, in tandem. And so they're, they're all linked. Um, but, but yeah, look, if, if you don't have any experience underwriting anything, but, but standard vanilla 30 year fixed refis, and that no longer is really a part of your product mix, does your lender, when, when they look around and say, we only have room for five on the boat, you know, you're probably not going to be one of the five. Right. And, and so in, in this case, you know, I, I think the underwriter who is very experienced and who knows how to do a lot of these loans and, and um, you know, I, I think that a lot of lenders will want to keep them there, but not at the cost that they've had them. You know, everyone is going to need to take a hit. Even LOs may need to kind of examine their comp. You know, if, if you think about what what should they be getting? You know, 150 basis points on on a loan that you know is is as easy as they come, and and you know, collecting 4,500 dollars on a 300 thousand dollar loan that takes them, you know, basically a day and a half of work to do. Um, you know, maybe that is not going to be the reality in 2020 for a lot of people. Um, I think signing bonuses for LOs are going to come down pretty dramatically as well. I don't think anyone is going to be offering, you know, million dollar signing bonuses to, to get star LOs and bring their teams along. But um, it's, it's hard to say, you know, it really depends on, on um, how much capital some of the, you know, the hungry, hungry hippos are, uh, are willing to spend and what their investors want out of them. You know, if, if they have a big institutional investor who says you're the 10th biggest mortgage lender right now, um, but we want to give you $400 million. I want us to be in the top five next year. You know, that million dollar bonus doesn't seem so unreasonable then, even if it's not sustainable. Right. So yeah, it's, it's certainly a trend to watch for. Um, but, but I think the people who are newer to the industry and don't have the contacts and don't have, you know, the relationships or don't have the experience of doing, you know, difficult loans, you know, any non low hanging fruit, I, I think they're probably the first ones who are, who are going to be cut, unfortunately. And it's, it's going to be a tough market. It's one of the hard things about um, real estate or, or mortgage, right? It is cyclical. And so getting in and, and making it work as someone who's new to the industry is always pretty tough. I mean, that's just the the reality. Well, James, thanks so much. Um, I would like, before I let you go, um, what are we looking forward to in the next week? What are some of the upcoming reporting we can look forward to? 
So we, we are looking into Zillow and what happened when they uh, decided to finally end their failed iBuying program. So they had quite a bit of inventory. Uh, and so senior real estate reporter Matthew Blake has been looking into what they sold, how they sold it, and and kind of how they, they the, the relationship that they formed with real estate agents during that time is um, kind of ironic and interesting. And so uh, we're, we're looking at Zillow and, and also what the future holds for a company that that is really, um, I would like to say at a crossroads, but we don't really know what road they're crossing because they haven't really articulated um, what the big strategy will be outside of, you know, showing time, uh, which is one of their products, and um, Premier Agent, which they're making some tweaks to. But, you know, I, I think Zillow is known as sort of a big idea company. You know, like iBuying was always supposed to be this, this um, you know, this is the way of the future and we're going to be the first arriver. Um, and, um, and now that that's no longer on the table, they have to do something big. They have to do something bold. You know, just being the Zillow from 2014 is probably not going to cut it. So, um, so we're looking at that. We, we've got a bunch of... Features coming up, we're, we're looking at Julia Gordon and, um, you know, the likelihood that she becomes the next FHA commissioner. We've got a bunch of a bunch of looks at the secondary market and non-QM lenders and investors and how they're responding to uh, just the rate volatility. And, and, you know, a lot of them are cash buyers. And so they have um, kind of different ways of, of achieving their goal of, you know, buying homes in a tough market. But what happens at the end? And, uh, and yeah, so lots, lots of good stuff to come. And we're, we're going to continue to be on the lookout for layoffs uh, in the mortgage industry and other industries, you know, mortgage, it's all connected, right? You know, it's, uh, we have more real estate agents than ever before. Um, they're by and large independent contractors, but I, I think it's just a matter of time before a significant number of them wash out. You know, I, how many, how many times can you be the buy side agent and writing 40, you know, different offers for a client and not getting a payment on any one of them, and um, and just saying the heck with this, I'm I'm going to find something a little bit more stable and and uh, you know preserve what hair I have left instead of ripping it all out. So yeah, lots and lots of news stories to come over the next over the next week or two. And we've got earnings as well. Yeah, we've got about 50 public companies in in the real estate mortgage title uh, spaces that are, that are going to be showing us the books over the next few days. Super interesting. Um, Thanks so much for being on. And we look forward to reading some of those stories coming up. Thanks, Sarah. How have the 2022 housing market forecast changed? Or how is the industry navigating the shift to a purchase-driven market? HousingWire's premium content program, HW+, answers questions like these and offers a variety of member-exclusive benefits that are tailored to what you need to stay competitive and agile in today's fast-paced market. Go to housingwire.com forward slash membership to join today. With your HW Plus membership, you get access to longer-form digital content, the HousingWire magazine, member-exclusive rates to in-person events like HousingWire Annual, and more. Thanks for listening to Housing Wire Daily. If you haven't already, we'd love for you to take a minute to rate the show or leave a comment. We'll see you back here on Monday for more news and insight.